Chapter 15 of A Mayfair Magician, A Romance of Criminal Science. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. A Mayfair Magician, A Romance of Criminal Science by George Griffith. Chapter 15 well my dear arnold i must confess that this is the most extraordinary case i have ever come across in my experience said dr saunderson when his colleague from london had given him a detailed history of the strange case of jenner halkine convict and seeming miracle worker the mask and the goggles were a good idea i must say but i'm thinking that we'll have trouble with them for all that you see we've no right under the regulations to compel a prisoner to look at the world through colored glass for the rest of his days and a highly educated man like this would be the very one to put a complaint nicely before the directors or the visiting magistrates and you know what they are then you see there's the difficulty about this story of yours i needn't tell you that i believe every word of it though i think the governor wants a little more convincing but how are we going to get a yarn like that through the skulls of county magistrates, even if you could confess that this fellow has made you and the chaplain and the governor at your own place, to say nothing of the warder, break the king's regulations all to pieces? Yes, I am afraid you're right, replied the other. Naturally, it wouldn't do to say anything about that. There would be no end of a row if it ever got before the commissioners. No, I'm afraid now that you've got him here... You will just have to treat him as an ordinary prisoner until he works another of his infernal miracles on somebody, and then, of course, the governor can report the matter regularly and get permission for the goggles. Meanwhile, we'll try them, at any rate, until our friend makes a formal complaint. Curiously enough, however, and considerably to Dr. Saunderson's surprise, Halkine made no objection whatever to wearing the unsightly mask and spectacles. He had learnt the lessons of his probation well, and his conduct was practically perfect. The other prisoners and the warders were allowed to believe that he was suffering from a disease of the eyes, which made any bright light very painful to him, and he did not undeceive them. He kept absolutely to himself, and in a very few weeks he had won recognition as quite the model prisoner of the establishment. His custodians would, however, have been greatly surprised to learn that, although he was not yet entitled to receive or write letters, he was, nevertheless, in constant communication with the outside world. One of his principal occupations was gardening and light farm work, for which his intimate knowledge of botany and the science of agriculture made him exceedingly useful. And his eyes, in spite of the goggles, detected certain marks on trees little arrangements of pebbles and broken twigs and strange characters drawn on flat stones and cakes of clay that nobody else saw it never struck anyone either to connect the visit of a mild-mannered hindu barrister who was studying the prison system of england with prisoner number seven 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 and yet somehow he became possessed of a tiny ball of white paper which he unrolled in his cell and which then took the form of half a dozen cigarette papers covered with persian characters he read them carefully as opportunity offered and when he had quite mastered their contents he swallowed them one by one thus the autumn grew into the winter of the second year of his imprisonment 
and the time approached for the execution of a scheme such as had never before been conceived by a dweller within prison walls number seven seven seven's behavior had been so uniformly perfect that the governor who had always looked with a certain amount of skepticism on the extraordinary story that dr arnold had brought with him began to come to the conclusion that there was probably a good deal of unconscious self-deception mixed up with the matter he discussed the matter with dr saunderson who held firmly to his original opinion and then in an evil moment he decided with that obstinacy which sometimes characterizes the military officer in a civil position to test the truth or falsehood of the story himself it so happened that Halkine suggested an excellent opportunity for doing this autumn merges rapidly into winter on the bleak slopes of nethermore and one day when the first snows had fallen he received a request for an interview from him the next day was the one on which he was accustomed to hear reports and complaints in his office and when the other cases were disposed of he ordered Halkine to be brought before him the request that he had to make was a very simple and natural one and it was made so modestly and respectfully that colonel marshall did not find any difficulty in granting it he had suffered for years from a slight weakness of the bronchial tubes said number seven 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 and as gardening and farming were now at a standstill he asked that he might be given indoor employment even if it were in solitude further the constant action of the colored rays on his eyes and the absence of natural light were enfeebling his eyesight wherefore if the governor still thought it necessary for him to wear the glasses in public he would esteem it a great favor if he could be allowed to work in solitude and be relieved of them for a certain number of hours a day now it chanced that the telephonic communication between the governor's house and the prison had got out of order and wanted thorough overhauling and no one was better qualified to do the work than the almost universally accomplished convict seven 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 so the governor in spite of a somewhat strong protest from dr saunderson determined to have his own way and give the job to him the same afternoon he was taken to the house under the charge of a warder as the regulations prescribed and the goggles were removed he went about his work on the instrument quietly and deftly keeping his eyes fixed on what he was doing warder plunkett his guardian was a good officer and an excellent disciplinarian but he was practically devoid of imagination and therefore even more skeptical to the supposed powers of number seven 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 than colonel marshall himself was the first instrument to be operated upon was the telephone in the governor's bedroom by means of which he could be roused any time of the night in case of any emergency arising in the prison this was connected with all the principal galleries and the infirmary as well as with the house which dr saunderson occupied some little distance away on the opposite side of the principal entrance gate Halkine took the framework down examined it and found a little fault in one of the wires which was not properly insulated i think this is the fault with this instrument sir he said to the warder as he heated a piece of gutta-percha over the flame of the spirit lamp he rolled it out between his fingers applied it to the wire and went on as he replaced the instrument against the wall now will you kindly see if you can ring the doctor up i think this peg is his connection yes now if you please and it would be better if you would keep your eyes steadily fixed on this little circle 
that is what is called the diaphragm it is a little sheet of very thin iron and it vibrates as you speak against it that is how the electric wires convey the sounds of your voice to the receiver at the other end yes that's it look very steadily at it please so that you can tell me if it moves allow me for a moment that is not quite in the proper position i see as he shifted the instrument a little he passed his hand two or three times before the warder's eyes when he saw that they were fixed on the diaphragm he took out the connecting peg looked keenly into his eyes for a few moments made the connection with the governor's offices in the prison and said with a snap of authority in his voice now sir be good enough to ask the governor to come to this room as soon as he is at liberty i thought you said the doctor just now said mr plunkett in a voice curiously unlike his own and trying hard but unsuccessfully to get his eyes away from that little disk of black iron it doesn't matter which replied halkine with yet a little more authority in his voice i only want to try the connection there now you ought to be connected kindly ask the governor if he can hear you but don't take your eyes off the diaphragm i want you to tell me if it moves the warder did as he was told wondering in a dull kind of way what was happening the reply came back that the governor was in his office governor says he's there said plunkett in a dull tone very well replied halkind now tell him that he is wanted here immediately here in this room but he isn't said plunkett sullenly i don't want him and you have no right never mind about rights mr plunkett came the sharp reply be good enough to do as i ask you has that diaphragm moved yet no sir no it hasn't not as i have seen no well then perhaps we'd better wait until it does before you call the governor just say all right we are trying connections sir the warder repeated the words as a phonograph might have reproduced them and without taking his eyes off the iron disc presently the words spoken in the governor's voice all right i can hear perfectly came over the wire governor says he can hear all right sir said the warder wondering dimly how it was that their positions had been as it were reversed halkine walked to the window and looked out he saw that it had begun to snow heavily that will do mr plunkett he said it's getting near supper time i think you'd better conduct me back to the prison the officer tried hard but he could neither get his eyes away from the fatal disc nor move a muscle in his body he just stood there leaning slightly forward and staring with fixed eyes at the instrument then halkine went up to him and measured him with his eye he was almost exactly the same size as himself but this he had already arranged so by choosing the day on which he knew that this particular man would be on duty he stepped to the door and gently locked it then he commenced a rapid hunt through the room he found the governor's razors and shaving tackle and shaved himself clean this done he went to mr plunkett put his hands on either side of his temples turned his head round and stared into his eyes fixedly for two or three minutes his eyelids fell half over his eyes and stopped there then he passed his hands over his limbs and they became supple again attention the warder an old soldier stiffened up and he went on with a good imitation of the military tone of command sergeant plunkett you have got the wrong uniform on 
Take it off and put this one on instead. Quick now, boots and everything. I'm surprised that you should appear on parade in such an extraordinary rig. Think yourself lucky if it doesn't cost you your stripes. The officer obeyed in a wooden sort of way, and at the same time Halkine stripped off his convict garb and threw the things towards him. In two or three minutes the change was completed, and then Halkine ordered him to sit down, took a pair of scissors from the governor's dressing table, and very carefully clipped off the mustache and chin beard. Then he melted some more of the gutta percha to a fluid, mixed it with a little powdered resin, smeared it over his upper lip and chin, and with wonderful neatness transplanted the warder's mustache and beard to his own face, leaving him in the scrubby condition of a clipped convict. He put on the peaked cap, looked at himself in the glass, and waited until the gutta percha and resin, which were rather too hot to be comfortable, cooled and solidified. When he was quite satisfied with his disguise, he turned to the convict-clad warder and said, now then, Halkine, the bell will go in a few minutes. It's time we were getting back. Come along. Mr. Plunkett rose mechanically to attention, accepting the other name without question. Halkine fastened the mask and goggles on him, unlocked the door, and marched him out. He took him back into the prison, saw him safely into his own cell, and locked him in. Then he strolled quietly up through the prison yard, walked out through the gates with a nod to the gatekeeper, and in a few minutes more had disappeared amidst the thickly driving snow. He had timed matters so that a good two hours elapsed before the audacious trick that he had played was discovered. Meanwhile, the early dusk of the northern winter afternoon was deepened by the ever-increasing clouds of snowflakes, which fell quickly and softly out of the universal gray mist which covered the heavens. The prison bell was rung, and the telegraph set to work. But any idea of search that night was madness, and so the infuriated governor and the bewildered officials could do nothing more than wire descriptions of the escaped convict to all the surrounding police stations, and wait with what patience they could command till morning. But when morning came, and the search parties were preparing to set out, a green grocer's cart came laboring and jolting through the snow to the door of the prison, and in it lay the body of Jenner Halkine, which a shepherd trying to rescue some of his sheep that had been snowed up in a pen had found almost covered with snow and frozen stiff by the side of the old Roman road across the moors about five miles east from the prison. Dr. Saunderson examined the body and pronounced life extinct. The usual inquest was held in the afternoon, and in accordance with custom, the fact of death was telegraphed to his sister and his niece, so that they might claim the body and arrange for the funeral if they chose to do so. The following day, Jenner Halkine's sister, accompanied by his old friend Dr. Isa Ramal, having travelled by the sleeping car train from London, reached the prison with a closed carriage and a hearse containing an empty coffin which they had procured from the neighboring town of Nethermore, went through the formalities necessary to claiming the body, and took it away to the railway station. End of chapter 15 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista